Okay, so one thing that I've noticed here with having Mick on as our guest this week, is I think this is at least our third Australian on the podcast this year. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, but you know, we had Dr. Nick, we had Tammy. Dr. Nick and Tammy, those are the two that came to mind. I'm trying to think if we've had anyone else. Has yeah. Joe been on? Uh, no, no, okay. that's definitely, there's some white space there we could fill in. We've had a couple Brits as well, but you know, I've got a special place in my heart for Australians. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, I feel like this, we're on a roll. We should probably keep this going. Yeah. The only one, other one I can think of actually is another Mick and he might be from <gasps> New Zealand. I don't know. And no, I, this, I know that right. could be. Mick yeah, Friedman. Is he Australian? He's definitely that from that part of the world and i don't know if my ability to pick up accents is good enough to distinguish between the two but i think he's australian i think mick can now can this mick with a k can confirm right so i don't know mick friedman but i know i could possibly know his brother and if that's the same family then yes they are from sydney australia yeah well so that's in What's York, great yeah. is that it's like you you're like oh i don't know him but i know his brother because it's a we're all Australians, and so we all. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like any time I meet an Australian, I was like, oh, do you know my cousin? Yeah, I totally do, right? It's like, she's my GP. Um, <laughs> I do have a cousin in Australia who's a GP. She's lovely. Cool. So anyways, we, uh, uh, Mick, uh, thank you for, for joining. Like I have to say like Mick with a K now to specify that not the other Australian Mick who was on, but, um, Mick, tell us a little bit about your, your role at Pivotal. Um, and you know, obviously any of your favorite Australian pastimes that you want to throw in there. I really loved your comments about your signature hats that you are always wearing. Um, but either of those things I think are really relevant to the conversation today. Cool. So just a little bit of background. Hi, my name is Mick. I am known as Aussie Lunix online. I moved to San Francisco in January this year to join Pivotal as a platform architect. And platform architecture means we're a field engineer. So I spend a bunch of time doing um, pre-sales work, but majority of my time is post-sales work, helping customers be successful. Hmm. And my focus is on uh, um, platform engineering teams, so more an ops focus than a developer focus. And that comes from my background of always been working in ops. So in the 90s, me and a friend, we had a quote, we wanted faster internet and someone else had to pay for it. Hmm. And out of that came, we built an ISP. So we got to surf the backbone, 1997 I think it was, we were nice fast internet internet and someone else was paying for it until we worked out there's actually work to be done to make that thing happen so i discovered linux and became a system administrator so i started there i've stuck with the telco isp industry pretty much all my career um then naturally moved into the cloud side of things so 2015 i did a contract with the aussie government the australian government and we were a pivotal customer and that was to implement um we implemented Back then, it was just PCF, which is Pivotal Application Service. And the idea was to de- enable developers to, li- to deliver software at speed but with safety hmm. so that they could then showcase a more modern way of delivering software that was built for the people of Australia, not for governments. Okay. So that kind of kind of put Pivotal on your radar, and then here we yeah. are, 2019, and you actually joined Pivotal while you were still in Australia before you moved up here. I, 
I had my offer, my former offer. I did some contracting work with Pivotal in Australia whilst navigating the visa process to move over here. There's some mm. um, without a university degree, it's a little bit of a challenge to to get your visa here. It's ah. not impossible. It's just a lengthy process. Okay. So I just in that time, yeah, I did some contract work. Okay, because I just remember meeting you at a, a pivotal kind of internal thing, and your hat. You know, I mean, you and your hat. Uh, like, gosh, what was it? Like twenty? That was seventeen, twenty eighteen, maybe. Probably, Anyways, yeah, it was twenty eighteen. Yeah, so it was early twenty eighteen. So I was like, oh yeah, you've been you've been in with the crew for a while. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting, and I didn't realize you kind of came in through that um, that uh, that work that we had been doing with the the Australian government. Yeah. So, so, so that time there that changed some of my perspectives of what your role is in systems administration as in ops engineering to more of I, my role is no longer I'm building servers or technology. I'm enabling developers and I'm doing what it takes to enable developers to write and deliver software that then enables the value for the end user. Mm. The, that's really a, a pivotal moment. Can I use that? Sorry, mm. no pun intended. Um, Sorry, not sorry. No, that's right. So, yeah, it was, it was a big change for me um, in my career to, to have a different focus, and it's been a really good change. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's an interesting, like, you know, you had this aha moment, and it's sort of it's changed the course of Mick with a K's trajectory through, you know, time and space, literally, and yeah, just space-wise, you know, you coming to the U.S., um, and so now this kind of relates back to what you and I were talking about the other week, which I thought would be really interesting for our, our listeners to hear about, which is how, how you've used net promoter score to actually get other people to have some of the same aha moments. So maybe you could kind of start that story at the beginning for folks uh, but I'm just going to put that teaser out there as like, this is, this is where the story of Mick with a K and the rest of the podcast are going to come together. But yeah, tell us a little bit, you, the, you don't have to name names, but the client you're working with, what, what was going on? Like, like, I'm sure what many enterprises would recognize in their own, you know, environments. Sure. So what it, so it, it took me a little bit of time to come to that realisation that my role, and when I say time, we're talking, you know, maybe a decade of being an engineer before it really dawned on me that, hey, I need to actually listen to what my developers need to so that they can be efficient at their jobs and safe. And then it's not that easy, though. It's not something that's common in our industry around you go to conferences and tech conferences are mostly about the tech side of the role. And I remember being at a container conference once and put a proposal in for a, just a lightning talk. And I was told it must be technology. It can't be like philosophy or process or anything. Mm -hmm. And I was, I felt a little annoyed at that because there was a lot of talk around. um, It felt very resume at this conference, it was like everything was about what's the latest technology and like no one was asking why. Like why would you want this thing in a business or a company and how does it help your developers? It was just about how cool is this technology. Mm. So to help 
So working with when I first started here in um, San Francisco with Pivotal, I was just you know I've got a few customers I work with, and one of the signs I noticed was very much we're building you know for ourselves, not for our developers, and to take them on the journey of that mindset change. I, I tried to think of, you know, um, a few different things we could do. And I noticed they were currently only being measured by velocity, as in like agile scrum style. We did 40 points this week as a team. Next week they did 10. And then they got questioned, what have you all done this week if you only delivered 10? And mm-hmm. it didn't feel very good for the team. It's like What's not visible in that was a we spent a bunch of time on, you know, um, outages and, you know, reactive type work. And we had a day where it was an all-hands staff meeting, so therefore velocity's down. So we, as a team, you know, as a pivotal team working with that customer, we said what metric could we measure them by that showed a more accurate um, journey towards helping the company on their innovation journey and to help change their mindset. So I, I want to pause you there, though, because you talked about, okay, so they're being measured on velocity velocity because they're working in these agile scrums. And, I mean, isn't, isn't agile good? Isn't that a good thing? <laughs> sure, but um, it, one size doesn't fit all. If you're in an operations team, agile itself, it's a big word, but so say scrum is very uh, fixed time fixed scope and you get a lot of uh, reactionary work during the week even early in your innovation journey so you'll have you know lots and lots of our uh, say defects or outages or you know problems support requests and, and if you've got a lot of that work and it doesn't fit in it will affect that your velocity and if your management's only measuring your team by that velocity number it, it's not a great indicative of a, is the team delivering value? And B, the other thing is it can be gamed. If it's the metric that's being measured, all of a sudden every story is 10 points, regardless of whether it takes five minutes to implement or it's really hard and it takes two days. It's 10 points. And before you know it, the team's delivering 100 points of velocity and they look awesome. But the, how much value have they delivered? We yeah. haven't measured it. We don't know. So, yes, we started with, you know, we need to go on a journey to changing mindset and that was let's measure them on the, let's start asking the developers, hey, are you happy with your, you know, the journey of getting your code into production? And that was done. So there's a legacy platform in place at at the company I'm working with and the new Pivotal Application Service platform. The, The Net Promoter Score survey was it was crafted in a very simple way in that it asks a question and that's pretty much it. It is, are you happy with your current platform? Do you use PCF or legacy? And why did you, would you recommend it to, to another developer and why? So at the end of that first survey, they got a score. The net promoter, for those who don't know, net promoter score, it, you're working out a score between zero, um, sorry, minus and positive 100. You, if you're above zero, you're doing really well. So the combined score they got was, I think it was minus 27, which is, and most of the reasons given were that there was zero communications from the platform team. 
Like we don't know who you are. We don't know what you do other than there's a thing. And that was a real wake-up call for them. And, and, you know, one of the comments was, you know, this is a bitter pill to swallow, but we hear it loud and clear that we actually need to do better and talk to our, our users, our customers as such. So, so we changed the mindset dramatically, like overnight almost. And, and so it had the effect that we were after. On its own, though, it's not going to be the only metric. Again, a single metric on its own can be gained. And I'm, right. watching, I'm watching some of that happen already. It's like, you know, what are the things we can do just to get that score up? Yeah. And where's the value in for the actual company itself? If you walk around, you know, Oprah style, you get this, you get this, and everyone's happy. So the developers are happy. Does that mean value for the company that was being delivered? Yeah. Well, that's interesting to see how, like, especially over time, those things are going to get balanced. But it's it's interesting to hear how this has been um, a wake-up call for that team to sort of move from, as you worded it, like we're building this for ourselves, right? We're, in, we're sort of the, the infrastructure software team, but we're just, you know, this looks like cool tech. This is what we're going to build to suddenly like, oh, we get it. We need to build stuff for developers. What What have you seen... Um, on the positive side, what have you seen happen as a result of, you know, taking that hard pill of, okay, wow, that's a really negative score. And how has that changed that team's, you know, everything, right? How they're, they're organized, what they're working on, anything. Yeah. So they've, from there, one of the key things that they've, they're working on is that, Teams are starting to onboard and it's a small platform team and they're really starting to feel the pressure of having lots and lots of people trying to onboard at once. Mm -hmm. And it's become very obvious that you can't scale supporting that many people on your own with a small platform team. So you need a community. And the idea of net promoter score, find your promoters and make use of those promoters. So the idea is find the developers that like your system, they understand it, and they'll champion it. So they become key players in your community to help scale the support. So the basic, you know, one-on-one questions no longer come to the platform team. The community can start answering some of these themselves. So what's happening now is there are brown bag sessions happening regularly and they're very well attended. There's been a whole bunch of other community stuff happening. They now have a product website that's, and they've branded so they've branded their products. It is a, it's not often you see someone branding their infrastructure as a product. Mm-hmm. It has a name, a name that uh, has meaning and meaning to the area. And they've got a website now that has a whole bunch of, you know, like FAQs, how do I onboard, where do I get extra help? And there's still a, a lot more work to do in that space. Already they've started that, hey, our developers didn't know who we were or what we do and we need to listen to them. So now they've, they've, they've done a lot of work around that. Okay. Um, and, you know, tell, tell us a little bit more about just the, the process of setting up and running that net promoter score because this is an area actually Jeff I know has done some research in um, you know, the net promoter score process. And it can be like, you know, it's, 
it's, it's interesting. It's designed to be relatively easy, a sort of simple high level metric that a lot of people can grok relatively easily, except what goes into actually getting that number is a little bit more complex. So I think folks would really benefit from hearing just how this, how this whole process of setting up um, an internal net promoter score for uh, an internal infrastructure, you know, platform team to their developers, you know, even going back to getting people on board with doing it at all, like, and then like the mechanics of how did you do it? Yeah. Okay. So great topic. The, the net promoter score, you we've all probably come across them in our time that we spend online. It's, you know, at the end of a conversation or an end of a transaction, you'll get a, out of zero to 10, how likely would you be to, you know, recommend this service to your friend? And the idea is so zero all the way up to four is class is not likely at all. You know, the five and six, you're, it's a neutral and all that. So zero to six is class as a detractor. You would not promote the product. Seven and eight are classed as passive. Nine and 10 are classed as promoters. And they're extremely likely to recommend this service to others. So the way we worked this out was um, the questionnaire was sent out as a just a simple Google form, a really simple Google form. It was sent to all developers, not just those using the Pivot Application Service. And the idea of that was to gauge a two things. One, we can work out the um, developer happiness across the entire company. So for the executives, they can see that actually our entire development teams are not exactly happy with the way things work, or they are, and that we're getting better at stuff. The other one is the Pivotal application, uh, Pivotal platform team, the team there, can they can work out that they're improving and they're building the right things. They, um, and that's probably the most important part. So we take these scores from each individual person, then they're added up, and you take, I'm going to get this right, all your subtracting the percentage of detractors, yeah, from the percentage of promoters. That's where you come up with your MPS. Mm. So it's going to be, if it's below, if it's above zero, then you're doing re- reasonably well. So don't be overwhelmed by, oh, my God, it was minus 30 or yeah. it was only two. Okay. And then the neutrals just, you don't even you don't count those. They're, they're neutral. They don't yeah. move the number. Okay. But yeah. Cause the idea is they, they're not that excited. And they're going to tell everyone the idea is net promoter score is to find out who your promoters are. Okay. Like who, who's going to help you scale your support and your community and things like that and get okay. adoption. Okay. So let's say, I mean, just, just to walk through some numbers cause who doesn't love math, especially when referred to verbally with absolutely no visual cues, but, um, you know, if you, if you had a hundred respondents to a net promoter score, then if you had, uh, if 30% were promoters and 10% were neutral and 60% were detractors, which means they scored anything from zero all the way up to six, that's how you would end up with a negative 30 net promoter score like as just an example right but you could see how it's like well 30 percent were nines and tens and 10 percent were sevens and eights like you know 
you kind of get a sense for how hard it is to really get that number close to and above zero. Like you have to really have an overwhelming number of people in the nines and tens category. Yes. And it makes a difference in that if you've got a sample size of say 10,000 versus a hundred, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it's, it's a little, the numbers will fluctuate a little bit at, at, with only say a hundred respondents. Right. And, you yeah. Know, if you get 10 people that are unhappy the next time and become detractors, that reflects quite a large number of, out of that hundred. Whereas yeah. if it's, you know, 10 people out of a thousand, it's much smaller. It doesn't yeah. really show up as much. Right. But the idea is the, the MPS score is an indication measured over a long period of time. It's not a, hey, weekly thing that you're going to measure. So it's probably worth talking about that. So with the cadence with, that the, this team are using is quarterly. Um, so once a quarter, they'll send out the survey. It goes out again, I think, in the next few weeks to get their second score. So to see how they've gone in the last quarter. Mm. Um, we'll see. I'm, I'm confident they'll, that it will be a higher score. That, you know, they've done a lot of work in building a community and, and you know, listening to developers. There's still plenty more to do. Yeah. But that's good. There's, yeah. There's, there's another thing you mentioned as you were describing, okay, so we, we put together, we used a simple Google form, and it seems like the math is actually relatively easy to just do on your own. Um, but And you, you walk through, like, the three questions that were asked. What I thought was interesting is, is clearly, like, one of these questions – was geared towards getting an NPS that was needs to be shared with executives, right? And it's almost like answering an ex- a question that like higher level exec leader type people are having. Um, and then other ones might be more immediate for that team. So to me, that's kind of interesting and very thoughtful to be like, you know, you've got limited real estate, like the way you run these, you don't want to, you know, ask like 15 questions. If you can ask one, that's great. But if you can ask three, like thinking about, okay, who are we going to be sharing these scores with in order to motivate change? Like who do we think needs to change behaviors. We know that our team might need to change some things. So we want something that's going to be really immediate for us, but we also know that we want, you know, the, the appropriate say executive uh, air cover on certain things and their buy-in on making changes. So we, we kind of need to set up one of those questions to really be like, get them motivated. Uh, I don't know if that was, how you planned it. But to me, like, that seems like a really, really good way to go in terms of like, don't be greedy with your questions, right. And make them all like, this is just what I personally want to know. <laughs> like you got to think about who's, who are you going to be using these NPS scores with? Is that fair? Yeah, definitely. So it wasn't something that I'd thought of upfront that, that, Hey, this is going to have a bigger effect. It was really about the team itself. So, but by having it so that the questionnaire was sent to all developers, not just those that were users of this new platform, but to everyone, and then but having it so that you could pull out the metric for either as well as a combined um, had a really good effect. So you can you can bubble up to yeah you know the executives that actually are, the way we're working across the board is making everyone unhappy, so things need to change. And then there's a way of measuring that that change is increasing. And that could be culture. It could be all sorts of things. But the other one is limiting the questions 
is really, I think, important. If you get a questionnaire every three months that's got 15 questions in it, it's likely to get, you know, marked as spam very quickly and your participation rate will be quite low. So the idea is you want to make the barrier of getting the results really low so that your participation rate is high. So having two or three questions at the most. It's like, which platform do you use? Are you happy with it? And why did you give that score? Yeah. Jeff, is there anything from your kind of poking around on, on MPS, um, you know, processes and whatnot that, that you, you've done in the past hmm. that comes to mind for you? Yeah, well, I mean, this, when I started doing some research on this as, you know, part of the marketing group, I was thinking, well, how can we use this, you know, externally to market to, you know, potential customers? You know, hey, here's here's a great NPS score for Pivotal Cloud Foundry. Great. Let's attract some more customers. Uh, but the thing that the some of the folks that I talked to when I was exploring this pointed out, well, it's really a great tool for your internal teams as well mm-hmm. to get a sense of what's working, what's not working, uh, and to help the product teams determine, uh, well, just be, well, not determined, but it's one input that they can use as they they determine uh, how they're going to develop the product, new features, that kind of thing. And it helps them understand where they're, where they're challenged and and where they're doing well. Um, But, you know, I totally echo your point. It's, it's a simple score, but there's so much that goes, goes on behind it. Uh, And, and Nick, what you said about keeping it short, that's definitely some more feedback I got from some of the folks I talked to. Um, you know, keep it, keep it short, keep it concise, uh, and simple, and you're much more likely to get, get more people to, to answer. So, um, but I, you know, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's deceptively simple, uh, but can be very powerful. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, it's also the, you know, the, the basic question of like, how likely are you to recommend this to someone, which is the, you know, you see that wording all over the place that, there's a reason why that question has bubbled up in across many different industries and across many different products and services out there that people have measured as like a very telling indicator, right? It's just a signal, but it's a, it's a telling signal is like, would you actually go out and, you know, tell your friends that they should go use this. Um, It sets a really clear and high bar for, you know, not just like, did you like it? Um, and so it's interesting to see that starting to get applied internally. Cause we usually think of that as, you know, like, Hey, you know, you just downloaded our app and you like bought some oranges on some online do whiz bang. I don't know. I'm, I probably shouldn't call things whiz bang ever again. Um, but yeah, whatever, you know, it's like, we think of that in a very consumer sense and thinking about it as just a way to like, Hey, everything that you're working on is kind of like, it's your product and your customers are, you know, not just the end customers of the company you work for, but all these internal people that you're supporting. And so how do you find out like, how am I doing? Um, uh, you know, it, we run into this all the time like internally, like in product marketing, it's like, if we were to ever say, you know, we're going to stop doing this thing. Um, you know, people be like, no, 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 we, we, we want it. We love it. But then you try to look at the metrics of like, are you using it? Like, are you recommending it to other people? And you know, they're not, then the other thing is like, if you quietly take it away, um, and then you see who screams, (laughs) 
<laughs> that's how you find out if people are really using something. But that's probably like, a, you know, that's like a brinksmanship um, uh, uh, diplomacy style of uh, finding this out, where it's just like a really simple NPS score might tell you, like, you know, is this thing on track or not? Yeah. And it helps. I think it helps also that by having a measurement like this where you can get indicators that you're not keeping your developers happy still is much better than waiting until your developers are really dissatisfied and angry and don't want to come to work anymore. So, so you know, you're starting to go, oh, actually we're not listening to our customers or we didn't do the, quite the right thing, we need to improve. It's, fu- it's, it's much better to get that early. Yeah. So what, do you, what would you recommend for folks if they, you know, are interested in going down this path, which with whatever platform they're building internally, right? Infrastructure folks who are, you know, whether they're, they're pulling it together with their own mix of open source and what they've got, or if, if they're using, um, you know, Pivotal Cloud Foundry or, or anything, right? I think anybody could benefit from this. What would you recommend as, as how they can go about it? Probably the first one is making sure that your developers know why you're doing things. So don't just give them a surprise, you know, mm. here's a survey in their inbox. Engage with them to say, hey, think we want to now listen, we want to work with you and engage with you so we can help you be efficient at your job. Then send that survey to, out to developers. Obviously get executive buy-in that you're doing this because you want – you know, everyone to understand it, but yeah, send it out to the, send that small, simple survey out and don't, don't get tempted to put lots of questions in it, and it's very easy to be tempted by it. You're like, Oh, I could ask about this feature right? and get great feedback. But they said, that's for another time. Like this is really just, are you happy with my platform or not? It, it's, and send that out and follow that up. That's the key. Sending out a survey and having no response or no follow-up um, to your developers is not actually – it's probably worse than not sending it at all. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Like, you know, hey, oh, I got this great message that the team really cares about my opinion and they want to help and they're going to listen and then I got a survey and I took it and then radio silence. Like, yeah. that is super awkward and, like, you're like, wait a minute, I thought, I thought you were listening. So. Yeah, followed up with action. Yeah. So as in, you know, have a brown bag session and say, hey, here's a new feature we're rolling out. We've listened to you. And we know that this is something that's been painful for you and things like that. Yeah. Show that like, you know, I mean, do you even go so far as you'd say in this case, the team had like a, a, a negative score. It was a wake up call. Do they go back out with that broad based communication of, you know, thank you for taking the survey this is sort of what we've immediately learned from it and some of the steps we're going to be taking, uh, you know, in addition to kind of, Hey, let's do a specific brown bag on that feature that we, we know is something that you've asked for. Do you also do kind of the broad high level, just like, Hey, this was the score. Like, do you, do you share that with everybody? Yeah. So the team did that. They put together a report, like a small slideshow presentation and they got up at, I think it was a lunch and learn, where, you know, there was a room full of people and they said, you know, they were very vulnerable. They stood up and said, you know, we, we've listened. Here's the score. Here's what we need to do better. And we, we're going to improve. We'll work on this. That's the first step. Hey, we've got a problem. 
and we're going to work on it. Yeah. And they've started on that. So the next the next one will be um, really interesting to see the results and I look forward to the journey with them. Yeah. Like to make a really extreme parallel, I've been watching that Chernobyl series. Ah, I haven't. Okay. Jeff, have you watched this? I have. It's excellent. It's really good. It's like bizarrely beautiful. Um, it's also like a, uh, feels like a sci-fi horror film, except it actually happened. Um, but there's, it, it's really interesting seeing how, you know, these teams, at least, you know, especially in like the first episode is really visceral, like how these teams are dealing with failure and, um, you know, the idea of you, you mentioned how, you know, this team got up there and they were, they, they allowed themselves to be vulnerable and kind of show their weakness. And then, you know, they, they use that to kind of move past it and get better. Um, uh, yeah. If you want a, a really visceral example of like the opposite of that and like people never wanting to show any vulnerability and, and therefore making things worse, <laughs> uh, watch the Chernobyl miniseries on HBO. Um, yes. I'll be collecting my, my promotion check from HBO for <laughs> plugging that later. I mean, by later, I mean, you know, when the half-life of uh, uranium 257 or whatever actually is done in 10,000 years. Um, but anyways, so, okay, like, this is great, you know, uh, yeah. make sure the developers know why, like, that makes a ton of sense. Don't just, like, surprise them, like, inbox, yeah. hey, you know, like, here comes an MPS survey. They're like, what the hell is this? Is, it, is this fake, fake mail? Get the exec buy-in. Don't get tempted to add questions. Follow up um, with communication and action. Um, anything else in your kind of recipe for success with this? Um, there's a lot. But staying with just like the MPS and things like that, then I'll say one of the key things I learned when my time with the Australian government was there was a mantra that was used a lot and it was mindset, then skill set, then tool set. So this was part of getting the mindset to being product and customer focused. Mm -hmm. The idea is then you can work on skill sets next. The tool sets actually last. Mm. So, so the idea is that because the tools come and go regularly, it, you know, we're in technology and the technology changes quite fast. So it's not necessarily, hey, what tools can I use today? If you don't have the right mindset, you're going to be implementing the wrong thing. Right. Yeah. So this was part of that sort of journey. Take a, get the mindset set. We can work on the skills next. And that's probably the next thing is now that they're working on you know, with customers and understand they have customers. The next two things I think are finding other metrics that will help tie the work back to actually delivering business value so that the NPS score isn't an isolated score of just keeping people happy. It's, and the other one is then around um, continual learning, so becoming a more of a learning organisation because the skill set, the tool set, sorry, will change regularly. And if you're not a learning organization, you, you get left behind pretty quickly. Okay. And that makes sense in the, that, that's a great like order of operations, you know, the mindset, school set, uh, tool set. That's, uh, it's catchy too. So yeah. I always <laughs> like that. Um, 
yeah, that kind of, that's a clever order of operations that makes a lot of sense and then helps kind of prioritize, you know, what, what needs to happen both first and also strategically. Cause it's, it's almost like those, those plans sometimes you have that's like, you know, vision strategy execution, uh, where it's like your vision might be this kind of big picture over five years. And then a strategy is like a, you know, two, two year horizon. And then the tactics are like, what are we doing in the next six months? Yeah. And that's execution. But you know, the execution is going to needs to be driven by like the vision. Otherwise you've got execution. That's just for, you know, random acts of, of execution. And that applies to, you know, anything, right. Marketing strategies and product strategies and, and it strategies. So it sort of maps really well to that order of operations and thinking about, you know, what's the the big vision of where we need to be thinking um, before we get into like the tactics of what tools are we using. Um, and then I, the tying back to business value, I think makes a lot of sense. That's actually something that we're going to be talking about um, a lot more on an upcoming webinar that we have with uh, Jeffrey Hammond of Forrester and uh, Patrick Feeney from HCSC. So talking a lot about uh, creating metrics that matter. And I, I know from doing prep work with them, they're going to be getting into that. So I'll, I'll include that in the show notes for folks. Are there any other resources you would recommend for folks? We can always drop them in the show notes so that the links are handy. So there's a really good book. If you're starting out in this journey, there's a great book called um, Project to Product. Mm. I think it's uh, Mick Kirsten, I think his name is. Another Mick. Yeah, I'll double check that. And um, so it, it really helps go on that journey of, hey, we're doing project management, you know, we've got TPMs everywhere and um, to product. It takes mm-hmm. you on that journey. So it's, it's probably a really good book to, if you're in a big project-based company and you want to go on the journey, then, then that, that is probably one of the better books. That and when you get into the metrics that matter, there's the staple and that's the uh, – the uh, accelerate, mm, yes, which is the science of of DevOps, which is I think the, if you were only going to read two books at the beginning of a of you know a transformation journey, they're probably the two I'd start. Okay, well that's that's a strong endorsement, and I also like really short reading lists because I'm a slow reader. So um, wonderful. Where you mentioned that you're you're Aussie Linux on Twitter, where everyone can see you know your hat. Uh, one of the two hats you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and I also, I always really appreciate you, you know, internally, like on Slack, you have the emoji with the, the hat, you know, kind of, it's like kind of a cowboy hat, but it's kind of like the Aussie Outback hat. You can't really tell on emoji because it's emoji, but you just have it embedded as part of your, you know, your handle. So it's yeah. not, you don't have to add it. It's just always there. It's so the hat. I, I so that's six seven years ago I bought 25 acres of land out of the city like it was pretty remote so yeah the nearest my nearest neighbor was a mile away my driveway was three quarters of a mile long um well, you get some speed on that driveway yeah, no it was pretty rough there were two creek crossings like it wasn't exactly a racetrack um but Part of that, so that was an experiment around living off grid, starting from it was a clean slate. There was no building, there was no electricity supply, there was nothing. And it was a really tough experience, but a really great experience. But when you live out 
in the land like that and it's hot. It's, you know, 100, 115 degrees. Um, yeah. You wear a hat. Yeah. It becomes your best friend pretty much. Yeah. So, and in Australia, there's the, the Kubra hat, which is the one I'm wearing now. It's made from a rabbit fur. It's an iconic Aussie hat. But my other hat is uh, my winter hat. It's made from can- <laughs> so it's a it's a um, it's made from kangaroo leather, a really soft but really tough leather. And so it became part of an image, though. When I started wearing it to like meetups and conferences, it just sort of stuck. Right. That was yeah. your personal brand. And now it's recognizable. I can go right. places and they go, oh, the guy with the hat, we need to talk to him again. They yeah. can't remember my name, but. Yeah. Um, it's, especially when in like the 90s, there's all the news about like the ozone layer like melting away. And for some reason, it was like the holes were over Australia. Yeah. And then I, think, I feel like Australia got really good at making sure that like all school children were wearing hats. And sunscreen was like, you know, flowed out of taps or something like that. Because there isn't actually enough water in Australia. So it's actually cheaper (laughs) to just turn the tap on and sunscreen comes out. I'm joking, obviously. But, um, you know, there's just a a family down there. So I I have experienced the culture around sun protection, uh, partly because, you know, you were all going to get melted by the sun. um, And and it is actually quite hot in Australia. So I, I get it. Um, but it's wonderful. Thank you for sharing some of your, your hat stories with us as well. Um, it's good luck. You're welcome. I dig it. All right. We'll, we'll have folks follow you, um, on the Twitters. And of course, look out for the, the man with the hat at various meetups and such. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great being on.